in the midst of all the good stuff, I, I apologize. I have to give you some bad news. Uh, the bad news is we got some things wrong, and, and I'm, I'm sad about that. But I, and I don't want to have to be the one to tell you, but I feel I must. It might not be safe to kiss your dog. Okay, I know that's not what you wanted to hear today, and I didn't want to be the one to tell you this, because I know a lot of you, uh, you, you, you live by this adage that dogs' mouths are cleaner than human mouths, and, and I, I was reading an article this week that just kind of uh, brought that to attention, that it, it, it maybe is not as safe as we think it is. And when I was a, a, a teenager, I worked in a uh, frozen yogurt store and a guy used to come in all the time and he'd buy a vanilla cone and he'd take a lick and then his dog would take a lick and then he would take a lick and then his dog and I just kind of watched it thinking I don't get dog people uh, until I got a dog and so this is Maverick we have a picture of Maverick he's our red golden he's just this awesome dog but I, I got I'm gonna have to break the news because Maverick loves to kiss my face and lick all over and I'm gonna have to break the news to Maverick so is it all right if I let him know Maverick, Maverick, come here. Come here, buddy. Hey, bud. You sit down for a second? I know there's a lot of people and you're pretty excited. But listen, look. Hey, right here. Maverick, Maverick. <laughs> I got to break some bad news to you. We're going to have to we're going to have to cut down on the kissy face, okay? As much as I love your attention, you're going to have to keep your tongue to yourself, okay? So I appreciate you, bud, okay? Come here. Come here. All right, go see mom. Oh, now you want to come back for more. Go see mom. Go see mom. Go see mom. I don't know where he's going at this point. There you go. Look, I don't, I don't like, uh, I, I had people in the first hour saying, you know what, if kissing my dog is wrong, I don't want to be right. Uh, <laughs> and, and I get it, I get it. We don't like to be wrong about things. We don't like to find out that we're wrong. And, uh, and that's difficult. Uh, my wife and I were just, we were uh, away for a couple days and we had this, well, I'll just say we had a, a disagreement on something. And so we both insisted we were right we went to the employee and said, you need to clear up something between us, which he realized he's in no man's land. He can't win at this point. And so we asked who was right. He just not knowing uh, who picked which side. He said the information. I began my happy dance, which showed that I had won, which really meant I lost. There's no winners in those fights, right? So no one likes to be wrong. Uh, but we find ourselves being wrong all the time, don't we? We find ourselves, and it can be in all kinds of ways, and we've been talking about in a series called Awakening, uh, these unique awakenings that we see in Scripture, these moments in which God awakened someone to something that they needed to see, something they needed to know about what it meant to live life with Him. And, and, and it's important for us to think about what happens when you realize you're wrong about your relationship with God. There's something off. You've, you've drifted. You've rebelled. You find yourself not where you want to be. You found yourself where you shouldn't be, and you know you're in the wrong. How do we find our way back to God when we feel like we, what we've done, we, we've done wrong? And, and what happens for a lot of folks is they feel guilt, they feel shame, and there's a cycle of actually running and hiding from God. We see this right in the very beginning. Adam and Eve, they sin. 
Where does God find them? Hiding in shame. And he's asking them, why are you here? And they, they, they're explaining. They felt this shame. They're hiding from God. We see this from the very beginning of time. And it's true of us as well today that when we know where we've done wrong, when we've, we've found out we're in the wrong, that we, our tendency is to want to run and to hide. But there's an awakening that I want you to see today is that uh, God wants something different that God wants us to find our way back to him, that actually God thinks very differently about this than we often do. In fact, let me give you a big idea, and I'll I'll explain it, but here's what I want you to see today. Uh, Jesus explains something, and what Jesus says is this, is that heaven rejoices when we find our way back to God. That God isn't disappointed, that it actually that the heavens celebrate when even one person finds their way back. When we realize we're in the wrong and we find our way back to God, that the heavens celebrate. I think most people love a good comeback story. We love rooting for the underdog. We love seeing a comeback in sports or in the arts. Or uh, uh, How many of you saw the Endgame movie, the Avengers Endgame movie? Uh, a few of you, I'm guessing it's the biggest movie right out. And, and you think about Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man. 20 years ago, he was fired from the set of Ally McBeal for a series of drug arrests. He couldn't get work. They wouldn't insure him to be on a movie because they were afraid of a relapse. Uh, A friend actually had to post the bond so he could get back into this. He was completely out of work. He got, he's going to get at least $75 million for this movie. Not a bad comeback. Uh, He got $15 million for three days of work on The Last Spider-Man. So it's fun. We kind of see these things and think, okay, come back. That's what we want to see. We don't want to see people caught in those places. We want to see them uh, uh, return to a place uh, where where there can be some life. And so today we're going to talk about awakening to regret. What happens when we find ourselves in those places? And, And there's a sense of regret that we're not where we should be. How do we find our way back? What's waiting for us when we come back? So let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15 uh, in a Bible in front of you, if you have it with you or on your app. Luke 15, this is one of the most uh, popular stories Jesus ever told. It's a parable, and a parable, the goal of a parable is to lay a truth alongside a story to try to illustrate something. And so Jesus would tell these stories uh, to bring a truth to mind, to help someone see something through a picture. Uh, it, and and it, it requires some thinking. It requires you to, it, to enter into the story. And so one of the things I want to encourage you today is you're going to have to really understand the impact of this story. You can't look at it from kind of a, an observer from afar. If you're going to really understand the impact of the story, you're going to have to try to insert yourself into first century Jerusalem. You're going to have to try to understand what the people standing next to you are hearing. And you're going to have to try to feel the things they're feeling. Because the way that Jesus tells this story, he's not trying to give them information. He's trying to have them feel something. He's trying to to kind of upset or really kind of turn upright the way their thinking should be. But he can't do it simply by talking to their heads. He has to get into their hearts. And so I want to invite you to try to, uh, uh, to enter into this. So why was he telling these stories? There's three stories he tells in Luke 15. And verses 1 and 2 say this, that there were tax collectors and sinners who were coming, and they were gathering around to, to listen to Jesus. Now this was something that made the religious leaders uh, uncomfortable. 
In fact, we see in verse 2 that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're muttering around. They want to make sure people know that he's doing this and this is not okay. He's saying that he's welcoming these sinners. He's eating with them. He's showing acceptance to to them. And they want the people to understand this is not right. So in response to this, Jesus says, okay, let me give you a different way of thinking about it. Their thinking is God is not pleased with what you're doing. And Jesus says, let me give you a counter-argument. Let me give you a different way to think about how God thinks about this. And so he begins to tell a story. And the first story he tells, he tells about a shepherd who has 100 sheep. He loses one. And he says, well, you know what a shepherd would do, right? He would leave the 99. He'd go find the one. He finds it, and and with, with great love, he takes that lost sheep. He puts it over his neck. He walks back. They celebrate together. And folks are thinking, wow, that's kind of reckless leadership. And yeah, we, we see this as really reckless love, this kind of love that would leave 99 and go find the one. And he says these words, he says about this, this moment. He says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus says, look, you think the celebration would be great there? I want you to know, when, in the same way, when one person, even if the other 99 are safe in the pen, but when one person finds their way back, that the heavens celebrate this. So then he tells a second story. He doubles down. He says, uh, there's a woman, and she loses a coin. Now, uh, for us, we might lose sight of that, but for her, uh, this is like a day's wage. So imagine losing your paycheck. She loses her paycheck, and she can't find it, so she turns the house upside down. Finally, she finds it. She calls all her neighbors. There's a celebration. And once again, Jesus says the same thing in verse 10. He says, in the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I was, uh, saw this uh, response. A, a pastor, a local pastor, was writing. He was on a plane just this last week and uh, a, a woman who was engaged lost her engagement ring and and so he said the plane landed they announced it over the PA and he said everyone in the plane got down on the ground and started crawling around on the ground looking for her ring finally a lady in 9b says I found it and he said the whole plane erupts in cheering ah and she's crying and he's like Luke 15 oh my goodness I just experienced Luke 15 right here in the, in this moment And so we see this. Notice again what he says. He says, the same way that there is enthusiasm, there's this sense of celebration. That's how that's what happens in heavens. The angels are celebrating together. There's a there's rejoicing in heaven. And then he tells a third story, and the third story is going to take a a little bit more effort because you start to think about it that, that sheep can wander away and you can lose a coin, but a rebellious child. Boy, that gets emotional. That's choices involved. And so let's watch how he uh, talks about what we do with lost people, how God sees lost people. It says that Jesus continued, and there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided the property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. 
And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him out to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now we have to stop there because we have to feel what Jesus is trying to create because he's trying to create something, a, a, a sense of this. And so the story goes from bad to worse. So he says there's, there's a father, he has two sons, and one of the sons comes and says, I want my share of the estate. Uh, it, it, we know there's two sons. He's the younger son in, in that culture. The older son would have got two-thirds. All the other uh, uh, sons would have had equal uh, uh, shares. And so a third is given to him. So for the father to be able to do this, basically what the son is saying, I want your stuff, but I really don't care for you. If you, I need you, and the, this would require the father to liquidate part of his property. He's going to have to give him this money. I, it, it's significant. It is the son divorcing himself from his father. It is him saying, I do not need your protection any longer. I do not need your name. I do not need your resource. I don't need anything from you. I really wish you were dead so I could have my share. And the request is so absurd in some ways that scholars have looked to see, has there ever been any other story like this? Past or present? And there isn't, because no one would dare think to ask for something like this. No one would. Like, so, so what you need to do, take, think this for a moment. Imagine your sibling going to your parents and saying this. How would you feel? I mean, imagine that. I mean, my, my little brother went and did this. I'd want to wring his neck, man. I'd want to, I, I, I would not be happy with him. How dare you say that to mom and dad? And that's what Jesus wants them to feel. Right now, the, the people are standing there and they're just getting, they're so upset with the son. They are so irate that when they start to hear about what happens, he goes into this land, it says that he's, he doesn't take it and lose it on some bad, he didn't buy Bitcoin and it, you know, it was volatile or anything. He wastes it on, on, he squanders it. He wastes it on wild living. He gets so desperate, he has nothing left. It says that a famine comes and the people in the, in the crowd are going, good. That's what you get. God's given you what you get. And famine was devastating in the first century. He is so, he's in such a devastating point that he is willing to go to be with people on the outside. He's, going, he's a, a Jewish man going to be with the Gentile world. He's going to give himself over to work for them. And, and the, the offer, Jesus gives, shows that the offer is so ridiculous that the man says, go out in the fields and work with the pigs, basically thinking he's just gonna leave and not take the offer. He's so desperate, he takes the offer. He's working in the pigs. He's knee deep in mud. And he's starving, thinking, I wish I could eat what the pigs eat and he squandered everything and he realizes I've had I had everything I had it and I missed it and this moment of regret comes over him 
And here's the first thing I want you to see today. It's this, is that it is a good thing when we awaken to regret. It is a good thing when we awaken to regret. It's a good thing when we, re- when we understand, when we re- realize that, the, that something is off, that we're not where we should be. Change only comes when we are dissatisfied. And it is a good thing when we understand that we are in that, that place. And here he is in that, that moment. He sees the situation. He knows that it would have been so much better had he stayed. Everything he was looking for, he once had, but he has given up. The son, what he really wanted, was waiting for him all along. When we think about this, when you think about this, uh, where's it relevant in your life? Where do you feel that sense of drift? Where do you feel knee-deep and pig slop and it may not feel like it's gotten that far but we wind up getting in places we don't want to be our family isn't how we want it to be our marriage isn't how we dreamed it to be and and like the sun we awaken to regret we say i have i have missed it god i missed what you wanted for me here We're parenting our kids and we see a moment like we just had and we think, I've let so much time go by and I've wasted it. You know, you get about uh, nine, what is it, 935, I think, 936 Saturdays with your kids before they leave the home. I mean, in theory. If they leave at 18, you get 936, which sounds like a lot when they're, they're Hondo's age, right? Or William's age. But I got a 13-year-old at home, and I realized I don't got that many left. Saturdays I try to protect as a family day, and I realize there are days I just, it, it, I don't take advantage of, of being the dad God wants me to be. And I have regret. And God's waking me up and saying, you don't have to stay here. It doesn't have to be like this. Or maybe it is some way in our faith. We, we know what it's like to live close to him and we don't know how we've gotten there, but we just know we're, we're somewhere where we don't have to be. It's a good thing when we awaken to regret, when we sense we're not where we should be. And so when these things happen, when this happens, uh, notice what happens next with the, the, the sun Notice the response that he has. It says, So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The son has mustered up whatever uh, courage he can. And so he makes his way back. And the plan is this. What he knows is this, that an apology is not going to be enough. 
the rabbis would have taught at that time that you'd have to somehow make amends. And so his plan is, I will offer myself to my father. I will offer to be an apprentice to one of his, his skilled servants. I'll just, if he'll just take me in as the lowest of servants, at least I'll have food. At least I'll survive. And that's all the expectation he has in the story as Jesus is, begins to tell it. And so the son makes his way back. And as the people are listening, they know what's going to happen. They know what's going to happen once the community sees the sun on the horizon. And Jesus says this, that the father sees the son coming and he begins to run to him. Now children in that time ran. Women might run. Young men might run. But the patriarch of the family would never run. He would never pull up his outer clothing and expose his bare legs. That would bring shame upon himself. But he runs He runs to his son, and here's why he runs to his son. Because the community is also heading out towards his son. And there's going to be a ceremony that takes place. It's called a kazaza. Can you say kazaza? So a kazaza is the community would come, and they would meet the son. And if you had squandered your inheritance among the Gentiles, among the outside world, they would come in, they would take a, a clay pot before them, and they'd take it, and they would drop it. And they would hold that up and say, this is you. This is what you've done. You have broken community. You have have broken family. You have broken your father's heart. And you are broken off from this community. Be gone. Never come back. And so the father begins to run. Why? Why? Because he's going to beat the community to his son. Now the community, as everyone's listening, they're thinking, oh good, the father's going to lead the charge. So imagine their amazement when Jesus says, do you know what the father did when he got to his son? They're like, yeah. He grabbed him and embraced him and began to kiss him and lavish upon him love and acceptance And everyone's going, no, 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 no. That's not how the story's supposed to go. And he takes, he calls out, he says, place the the best, the best uh, uh, coat on him, the best gown around him. Uh, This, it probably would have been his own. Put a ring on his finger. He's back in the family. He has authority and power. He has, he has, he, he belongs to the family again. Put shoes on his feet, sandals on his feet. Only the poor uh, went around barefoot. Let him know he's back into the wealth of this family. All I have is his. And take the fatted calf, kill it. Let's celebrate. Let's throw a party. They, they rarely ate meat during, during the days. The fatted calf was kept in a separate pen. It was something that was the, set for the, the, you know, the biggest of ceremonies, the biggest of celebrations. He's saying, today is that day. And everyone listening to that story is saying, What are you talking about? And the whole time as Jesus is explaining this, he's trying, this isn't a parable about how to parent disobedient children. It's a parable about what the Father is like. What our Heavenly Father is like. See, when the father runs and he throws his arms around him and he shields, he's taken the shame upon himself. And he covers over the son and says, you don't have to do anything to earn your way back into this family. 
you are loved and you are accepted and you are brought in. Here's the second thing I want you to see today is that God is waiting for us with open arms. That he is waiting for us with open arms. This is what Jesus was trying to communicate in this moment. Is that when we find ourselves away from God, when we find ourselves uh, uh, not, whether we've drifted, whether we've rebelled, whether we've squandered everything, the moment we awaken to regret, the moment we realize that we need to find our way back home, that God is waiting with open arms. He is waiting for us to come back to him. And in this moment, we see something quite significant. Uh, God reaching out to us. Despite everything we've done, God is welcoming us back in, not asking us to, to, to earn our way back in, but taking us back in. And what we begin to understand is, in some ways, the heart of Christianity, we obey God not so that we would be loved. We obey God because we already have been loved. And so I want to I help you out here. If you are new to Beach Point, one thing, I, I, maybe I could protect you from the, this surprise. You're going to hear a lot of stories like this here. That's kind of who we are. Uh, we're kind of the Baskin Robbins of churches. We have 31 different flavors of restoration. Uh, some people found their way here because their family was broken up. And God began a work of restoring them. Some people never did church before. Now they're running the church. Some people uh, uh, were, uh, came here struggling with addiction. And with God's help, now they're finding a way to celebrate their recovery. A- and you're going to meet all kinds of people whose stories look and feel and sound a lot like this. We were lost, but now we're found. We were broken, but now we're restored. We were enslaved, but now we're redeemed. And what we know is simply this, is that God is meeting us with those, in those stories. God is meeting us in those situations. He's restoring us. He is freeing us. He is finding us. And he is doing a new work. Every Sunday, um, before I walk over here, uh, I, I relive this story. So if you've ever been in my office, there's a prayer bench and there's a painting of this story. It looks like this. It's, it was done by Rembrandt. And you have the son, and you have the father. You have uh, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And then back in the shadows, you have Rembrandt himself kind of watching and taking in the story. But it's kind of an interesting thing as everyone's taking in the story. But every Sunday, I kneel being reminded that I am just like that son, tattered of all the things I've been through in that week, my past, all that stuff. And every Sunday, I just ask, I kneel before the father and just say, would you... Place your hands on me once again. Strengthen me, bless me. I, I don't know what I'm doing doing this. But if you think it's all right, then I'll do it. And I ask him to bless me, to strengthen me for whatever it is that he wants to do. I live this every day, every Sunday when we come together. I know who we are here. And what's so interesting about this story is if you've ever heard this story, you probably have heard it as the prodigal son. The word prodigal means to, uh, you know, lavish, extravagant. And and we think of the son in, in the lavish and extravagant ways that he spent everything. But really what we see is what? The prodigal father. 
this extravagant love, this lavish love that meets us in our brokenness and meets us when, we're, when uh, we are far off from God and invites us to come home. And so here's the response that we see in this. There's actually two response, responses we see. One is recognizing we need to come back. And the second response is to join in the celebration. And so here, this morning, I want to invite you to join God's celebration. You need only to humble yourself. The passage shows this. The moment that you awaken to regret, all you need to do is humble yourself and realize that the God who would lavish his love upon you is waiting with open arms. You would only need to humble yourself, turn your direction, and come home. And he is waiting for you. And he wants to celebrate with you. So we're going to do two things as the service ends. We're going to do both these things. Uh, We're going to have a moment uh, to allow space for any of you who want to come home. Whether you've drifted a little or you have run to a far-off land, wherever you are in your heart today, we want to give you some space uh, to allow God to work. I loved... uh, uh, Brandon, our, our middle school pastor, uh, was, was speaking about this passage last summer. And I loved his words. He said, there's no sin that is a match for God's grace. Are you where you should be? Are you where you could be? This morning, God wants to awaken us to regret, to see that we don't have to be knee-deep in the mud any longer. And so I want to invite you to bow. And uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take two unique postures. The first is this. I want to invite you to bow. And so if you can, you may just take everything off, set your Bible aside, just kind of lean forward, just lean forward. If you're comfortable, you may even want to kneel down. But bow your head, bow your heart, bow before, and, and just a posture of humility. And ask the Lord, Search, search my heart. Where have you wandered? Maybe there's a part of your life you just realize this is not where you want it, Lord. Our family's not where you want it. My career's not where you want it. I get it. I've been resisting you. The band's going to come out and they're going to just give us a second to think about this. It's hard to admit when you're wrong. But heaven rejoices when we find our way back to God. How have you wandered off morning we're asking God to awaken us to regret the places that we don't want to be any longer the circumstances we don't want to allow any longer and listen to these words not only does God forgive us but he takes upon himself our shame
He lifts off that weight that we carry on our shoulders for our past mistakes, and he willingly wipes the slate clean once more. May we experience what the prodigal son encountered upon returning to the father, that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Humble yourself. Come home. There's a party waiting for you. And if you've never taken the opportunity to commit your life to the Lord, today's that day. Jesus wants salvation to come into your home today. He wants to forgive you of your sin, He wants to fill you with His Spirit. He wants to begin a life with you now and forever. And so in the quiet of this moment, would you just say, Lord, come, have me, take my life. Today I commit to becoming your follower. Jesus' point was to reveal the heart of the Father And here's the words of Scripture as you've been praying that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Take a moment. Feel His embrace. Feel Him kiss your head. wrap you in his cloak put his ring on your finger and sandals on your feet listen as he calls heaven to attention there needs to be a celebration my kids are coming home Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story that you give us to understand uh, the heart of the Father. We're not just fascinated by its details, we're overwhelmed by its truth. How you love us the way you do. And so we just, this morning, thank you once again for forgiving us. We thank you once again for restoring us. We thank you for interrupting the drift of our hearts and our lives right now and calling us back home. And so we join with the heavens now to celebrate that in you we have life. And these things are made possible by your life, your death, your resurrection. And so we pray all these things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.